DiscerningHearts.com presents a special seminar retreat entitled Overcoming Spiritual Discouragement with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual formation according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He has dedicated many years to an extensive international ministry of retreats, spiritual direction, and teaching about the spiritual life. He has written eight books on Ignatian discernment and prayer, and a biography of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, and a book on the Liturgy of the Hours. He currently holds the St. Ignatius Chair for Spiritual Formation at St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver, Colorado. This particular retreat is based on the book Overcoming Spiritual Discouragement, as well as Begin Again, The Life and Spiritual Legacy of Bruno Lanteri, and Spiritual Counsels for the Life of the World, from the teachings of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. We now present Overcoming Spiritual Discouragement with Father Timothy Gallagher. feel like Chris has introduced us so well that uh, we're ready to start. And so I will just uh, move right into the material. Now the image that you see on the screen, the, the PowerPoint image, is uh, an image of Our Lady, Our Lady of Consolation, which is revered in uh, the Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation in the city of Turin, which is up in the northwestern corner of Italy. And it's where Venerable Bruno lived almost all of his priestly life, 47 years of his priestly life. And um, you'll see here next the, the shrine itself. It's a, it's a beautiful shrine. And here you see the interior of the shrine. And um, high up at the top of the screen in the middle, you see where the picture itself, where the image of Our Lady of Consolation is held in honor. Venerable Bruno would have celebrated Mass many times through his life in this church. He would have prayed before this image. It would have been dear to him. And that's why I've chosen this as we begin. And uh, it's just such a beautiful thing that especially in times like these, we're united in this way. And I'd invite all of us as we begin to lift our hearts to Mary. And I'll use the word that St. John Paul II used so often of Mary that it almost became something new in the church's relationship with Mary. Almost, I say, because it was there. But by the frequency with which a pope used it, it, um, it achieved a kind of new prominence. He would entrust things to Mary, anything of importance that he would undertake in the life of the church. In his own different way, Pope Francis does that. You, you may know that he stops at St. Mary Major uh, in Rome, before and after his trips, uh, just to entrust them to her. So I'd like to entrust to Mary, together with you, the, the whole 500 plus of us that we are joined together uh, in these circumstances and the technology that unites us, that it be blessed and operable for all of us as the day unfolds, and that we entrust to Mary the grace for which we have come to this event, the hope in our hearts, the desire for, for newness and freshness, and to overcome, if it's there in our hearts, any spiritual discouragement. Let's place all of that desire in, to, uh, in Mary's heart and trust it to her as we begin. 
And let's do that by praying the Hail Mary, but uh, laden with all of that significance. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So we are going to look at the uh, teaching of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, and specifically on overcoming spiritual discouragement. And you may notice that I deliberately made the word overcoming bigger than the spiritual discouragement, so that even visually uh, we see the theme as we begin here. Now, a word on the title that I'm going to be using, I'm going to refer to, uh, as he, in his life he would have been known as Father Bruno Lanteri, I'm going to refer to him as Venerable Lanteri. This word venerable has a specific canonical significance. When a cause of canonization is uh, undertaken, once, when the cause itself is undertaken, the church gives the title of servant of God to this person. After a lengthy and in-depth exploration of the person's life and writings, if the church comes to the judgment that the writings are free from error, and that this was a person who lived not only a holy life, but a life of heroic holiness, then the church formally gives the title of venerable to this person. When a miracle attributed, certified miracle attributed to this person's intercession uh, is verified, the person is named blessed, and when a second miracle is verified, the person is canonized as a saint. So when we speak of Venerable Bruno as venerable, what we're indicating is that in 1965, his cause of canonization was introduced in 1930. And in 1965, St. Paul VI formally declared Venerable Bruno Lanteri with that title as Venerable. This means that we're dealing with a man whose life has been reviewed by the church and who has been certified as a model of heroic holiness for the church. Please God as people and increasing numbers are doing it these days, uh, applied attentions, intentions of prayer to him, the miracle will come and will move forward to the blessed, uh, to the beatification. On the screen, you see the title of the book. Actually, this material preceded the book, and it's in this book that it's put together in written form. You know, when you write a book, you are so engaged in creating the idea of the book, in uh, gathering material, in shaping it into chapters, into writing it in a readable form and getting sentences the way they need to be and so on, that in some sense, even though you, you live it very deeply, you don't yet have the experience of the reader, of just stepping back and just absorbing, in this case, the teaching of Venerable Bruno. A few months ago, when I was asked to give a retreat on this material, I did that for the first time. I sat down and uh, just slowly read through the book, and I found his teaching deeply moving, even to tears at times. And I realized as I read something that I hadn't even seen in the writing of the book. And that is that the reason why this teaching is so encouraging for people is that Venerable Bruno knows that deep place in our hearts that we generally keep hidden from others, and appropriately in most cases, but it's there. So, for example, we, we meet each other, 
we smile, uh, we say, hi, how are you? Fine, how are things with you? Great. And those are the social proprieties. All of that is absolutely fine. But in settings where we feel free to, to speak about what is most deeply present in our heart, hearts, if I may say this with reverence, I believe it true to say that deep in the hearts of all of us is a place that is afraid. And we can be afraid of many things, the things going on in the world, the sufferings of the church, and so many things in our families and in our, in our lives that can be sources of anxiety for us. And I want to reverence all of that. But right now, I'm speaking of something that I think is even deeper for most of us. And that is that a sense that however uh, the nuances play out, the Lord would like me to be here, but I'm down here. I don't pray very well. Uh, I finish my prayer and hardly even know what I've said, what I've been trying to focus on. I fritter away time that could be spent better in other ways. I miss opportunities to help out to others. I give in to self-indulgence in ways that ideally would not be present in my life. I'm not as patient as I should be, and all the different nuances and the ways that we can experience that. Venerable Bruno knows that deep place in the human heart loves it, reverences it, and knows how to walk with us right there in that place in a way that leads us out of fear, that leads us out of discouragement and into a new sense of hope. Now here's my image. Here is a young girl, we'll say uh, elementary school age, who has acted out at school in, let's say, a pretty serious way relative to her age. And word has gotten back to her father. Her father is at home. She is dropped off, and there's the walk in front of her up to the front door of her house. And she knows that her father is behind that door waiting for her. And she's afraid. She doesn't know how he's going to respond. She walks up to the steps, climbs them, stands hesitating outside the door, finally opens the door and goes in. And there's her father. And her father doesn't say a word. He simply approaches her, hugs her tightly, and says, I love you. Now she can tell him everything. And that's where Venerable Bruno will accompany us in, this, in, this, in these reflections that we'll be sharing today. It struck me over the years, as I got very familiar with Venerable Bruno's correspondence, his letters, which have been published in a number of volumes, that these people opened up this deep place in their hearts to him because they knew that it was safe to do it. They knew that that deep place would be reverenced. It would be understood. It would be loved. And as I said before, they would be shown a path that would lead them forward out of discouragement. Now, the way we're going to begin our approach to his message is through looking at some of these letters of spiritual direction. Much of spiritual direction at that time had to be done by letter because uh, obviously travel was much more difficult at that time than it is now. If a person wants to have a meeting with a spiritual director or just uh, meet with someone to speak over uh, spiritual things, it's simple enough very often to get into a car and uh, drive for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and you're there. But a trip of that kind was a major undertaking in those days. And so um, most of the spiritual direction would happen through letters and then occasional 
uh, meetings in person as that was uh, possible for them. And we're going to look specifically at some letters of Venerable Bruno to this woman, laywoman, married woman, Gabriela Solaro de la Margarita. And let's just look a little bit at who this woman was, Gabriela. She, at an early age, had a first marriage. We don't know the exact date. My guess would be that probably would be maybe 1920. Marriages happened a little bit earlier in those times than uh, at present. And the marriage did not last very long because of her husband's early death. There were no children from the first marriage. She remarried uh, her husband Clemente and they lived together for the rest of their lives. A word about Clemente, her husband. He was a faithful husband, somewhat closed emotionally, uh, wouldn't easily open on the affective heart level. He was a poor administrator and essentially left most of the administration of the family finances and property to uh, his wife, Gabriela, who was quite capable. He was often absent, sometimes for months at a time. His uh, dominant passion in life was hunting, which was a widespread sport in uh, Italy at this time. Character was variable. He could be on, he could be off, he could be up, he could be down. And he was prone to spend more than the family could afford. He was a pleasant companion. People really enjoyed being with him. Uh, he was just a, a very pleasant person with whom to spend time in a relaxed way. And more than he should have, he avoided uh, responsibilities. As I said earlier, he essentially left issues like the family property and finances to his wife. And I'll note that this, these were very difficult times, um, and the responsibilities could be quite heavy at times. Gabriela and Clemente had six children. The first two boys, Carlo and Vittorio, died at a very early age. Infant mortality was much higher at that time than it is today. If you think, for example, about maybe 60 years later in the family of St. Therese of the Child Jesus, of uh, the nine children that were born to her now canonized parents, four died um, in a very early age, three of them in the first year of life and one of them at age five. This was uh, common enough at the time, but certainly there would have been a sorrow in this mother's heart at the loss of these first two children. <clears throat> her third child, also a boy, Clemente, was the uh, child in the family who became famous. This is his picture in later life when for 10 years he was what was called the uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs for their little nation, uh, the equivalent of our Secretary of State here in the United States. This is a map of Italy during the life of Venerable Bruno, and you can see that it was not the unified country that it is today. It was a hodgepodge of little kingdoms and duchies and republics. And uh, to, at the, to the left of the screen, you see the kingdom of Piedmont, which was comprised of this little corner of uh, northwestern Italy, the part in yellow there, and linked with it the island of Sardinia. Now that little corner of northern Italy would be the equivalent in, uh, let's say, the um, terms of the United States of the state of Vermont and maybe half of the state of uh, New Hampshire, which tells you that this was just a small little kingdom. Nonetheless, it was a kingdom, and Clemente was for 10 years the Minister for Foreign Affairs uh, in this country. He later published a book, a, a memoir of those 10 years, which is well known in Italian history. 
and the title and translation I've given it to you there as Historical Political Memorandum, and I've highlighted his name. In all likelihood, Venerable Bruno was not only the spiritual director of his mother, but also of this uh, son, Clemente. During the years that Clemente spent in the city of Turin, in his younger years doing his studies. And um, in the cause of canonization for Venerable Bruno, among the witnesses was the great nephew of Clemente, and he testified to the tradition passed down in the family that not only the mother, but also the son was spiritually guided by Venerable Bruno. And a further indication of that is that in times that were very, very difficult for the Catholic Church, um, we lose sight of it sometimes, and it's not all that far back in, in history. These were the years of the French Revolution, which quickly began a bloody persecution of the church, forcibly separated the church within the French eventually empire from the Catholic Church, nationalized church property, um, ordered all priests to take an oath of allegiance to the secular government. Those who didn't were persecuted, exiled, and put to death. When the French Revolution spilled over into this little kingdom of Piedmont in Italy, as it did not many years after it began, all of this passed into this little nation where Venerable Bruno lived. And that is a forcible closure of, sem of seminaries, uh, the expulsion of religious men and women just placed out on the street in a matter of hours, left to fend as best they could, and the heavy hand of secular authority over the church, even including in these years two successive popes forcibly taken from the Vatican, the first, uh, Pius VI, uh, dying as the French intended from, at an advanced stage from a very difficult journey, and then his successor, now servant of God, Pius VII, who also was forcibly taken from the Vatican and held in imprisonment and cut off from the church for five years until Napoleon's fall. Now, these were not easy years to be a Catholic. Um, and uh, Clemente was widely known as a politician in these years and, and subsequent years when he was actually in the government, was widely known as a faithful Catholic when it took a lot of courage, not much differently than today, I would say, to be openly and uh, unabashedly faithful to the entirety of your Catholic faith in the political arena, which um, won him the esteem, obviously, of those who loved the church, but also brought vilification from those who were hostile to the church. In fact, it was said that most of those in any leading roles who remained openly faithful to the church during these years in Turin in this little nation all had one thing in common, that they were spiritually directed by Venerable Bruno. The next two, Giuseppina and Gabriella, daughters, were twins. Giuseppina became a religious, Gabriella married. And then the last of her children was Enrico, to whom we'll be returning a little bit later. Now, let's get a feel for the times in which Gabriella lived. So she lived to be 71. You could see that she lived in the latter part of the 18th century, which is when you have the buildup and then the explosion of the French Revolution, and then the first four decades of the 19th century, which is when you have the Napoleonic saga, and then the uneasy peace of the Restoration that followed. When Gabriela was 18 years old, the French Revolution exploded in nearby France. And in the map you can see, this little kingdom, this little northwestern corner of, of Italy is 
um, nestled right up against the much bigger, and during those years, the most powerful nation in Europe, which was France. So that all of the church perse persecution and secularization and so forth, the de-Christianization going on in France, uh, was very likely to spill over into the kingdom of Piedmont, as it did seven years later. And this is the time when Napoleon enters the international stage. He takes an army from France, crosses the border into this little kingdom of Piedmont, and defeats it in a matter of days. And this begins a period of almost 20 years of French occupation. So the, the nation has lost its independence. It is eventually incorporated by Napoleon into his empire, subject to the laws of France and all the persecutions of the church that the church underwent. Among other um, ways in which this tumult affected the life of Gabriella and her husband and her family was that when the French soldiers came in they evicted the family from their property and when eventually after the fall of Napoleon the family was able to re-enter its property the great nephew in his biography tells us that um, the only thing the French could have done to damage the proper the property more fully would have been simply to burn it down entirely everything that could have been stolen was stolen the property was uh, in very bad shape, and Gabriella, as she raises her children, will have to deal with all of this. So this was not an easy time to live her Catholic faith. We have a description of Gabriella in this biography of her son Clemente, written by Clemente's great-nephew, and let's just uh, look at that. Uh, a woman of interior strength, with something virile about her. So this was a strong woman, a capable woman, able to lead, able to size up decisions and do what needed to be done, high-minded, intelligent, energetic, sure of herself, accustomed to lead and make decisions. Some sense you can see that given the times, that quality would be very precious. She was of a meditative nature and thoughtful, uh, severe in character, with a particular modesty, a good heart under a cold exterior. So this was not a woman who would easily show warm and tender affection. So that was something she was going to have to deal with throughout her life. Steadfast of will. So she would see this needs to be done, and she would not give up until she pursued her goal. Inclined to the good. She was a good woman, a woman of faith. Obviously, even the fact that she had a spiritual director and one like Venerable Bruno says an awful lot about the seriousness of her spiritual life. But a little impatient, almost sharp, and I'd say, all, humanly speaking, almost inevitably, uh, as uh, given how capable this woman was and intelligent and so much of a leader, she would very easily get impatient with those who were more hesitant, less sure of themselves, and similar. Firm and sincere in her judgments, but often too exclusive and narrow in them. So she would size up a situation, judge it, understand it in a certain way, and it would be very hard to get her to change. Uh, she could be a little too exclusive and narrow in her judgments, severe in her behavior and tastes, yet with a great pride in her parentage and social position, hardly balanced by a Christian sense of humility. So this is Gabriela and Clemente. And I would say they're like us. You know, when uh, one retreat where um, when people were reflecting on the teaching as we, after we had gone through these letters, 
a woman said, we, we have letters of spiritual direction between saints. So think, for example, of St. Francis de Sales and St. Jean-Francois uh, de Chantal. Uh, and those are beautiful. But in this case, we have letters of spiritual direction to people like us. That is, good people, faithful people, people who love the Lord, but have their limitations and their weaknesses and their struggles. And that's absolutely true. You'll see it. It's remarkable how over the space of 200 years, you almost feel like Venerable Bruno is speaking directly to you as we go through this. So now, if you take the handout, let's begin to look at these letters. <clears throat> and you have the, the text of, of this first letter on page two of the handout, if you have that. So he begins, my lady and my daughter in, in Jesus Christ. A little bit of formality in the way things were uh, written at the time. Also, the originals are in French, and that comes through uh, a little. French was the universal language at the time, the way English tends to be today. So he is responding to a letter from Gabriela. Your letter just arrived. I was glad to receive it, and it gave me real joy. Now, this is the first thing that you're going to notice about Venerable Bruno. He'll, he'll always lead with the heart. Uh, I was glad to receive it. And it gave me real joy. This is not a man who is fulfilling uh, a task that he's been asked to do, to spiritually accompany and guide this woman. But his heart is there. Um, he, he, he's, his whole being is given to this. And the people who came to him in person or via letter in this way, they all knew it. They knew that this was a man whose heart was open to them and who assisted them, walked with them deeply from the heart. Your letter just arrived. I was glad to receive it, and it gave me real joy. I was happy to hear that your trip went well and that your whole family is in good health. Now, if we stop the letter right there, this could be a letter from any friend or family member to another family member or friend. You'll notice another thing about Venerable Bruno, which is a constant. He, he always begins with the human. He recognizes and reverences the human, and thus far, that's the level here. This could simply be a friend of the family. Uh, just glad to hear that whatever the trip was, the travels, that all of that went well, and that everybody in the family is in good health. Now, Gabriela has asked his advice on how to situate a young girl, Louisa. So it's not her daughter. So most likely a member of the larger family or friends who had asked her help with finding a good situation for this young girl. She's asked Venerable Bruno's advice, and he responds. I see no reason why you may not entrust your little Louise to your dear sister, the Lady Countess Vidoa. She could not be in better hands, and the reasons for doing so are my, many. In my view, he may do this with total peace of heart. Now, if it gives Venerable Bruno joy, real happiness, to know that, humanly speaking, things are going well right now for the family, Something else gives him even greater joy. And you watch him now move to the spiritual level. He'll always reverence, recognize and reverence, and share from the heart in the joys or sorrows of the human level, but he doesn't stop there. And fairly quickly, we'll move to where his heart most deeply um, resides, and that is on the spiritual level. And it gives me greater happiness still. So this gives even more joy to my heart. Well, what is it that gives even greater joy to his heart? It gives me greater happiness still to know that Father Ferrero is there with you. 
Now, we don't know who this Father Ferrero uh, was, but what it means is that the Eucharist is now available to Gabriella in a way that was not possible before. In uh, Italy, the countryside is peppered with these uh, little chapels. And you also have, on many of the larger properties, uh, chapels that are built right into the property itself. The second image that you see is the chapel, which can hold maybe uh, 10 to 15 people, which is attached to a country residence that Venerable Bruno had outside the city of Turin. It was farmed, but he used it as a place when he needed to get away. He also uh, reshaped it so that he could have retreats with up to 17 and 18 people there. And the chapel is built onto the property so that the Eucharist is available. So what Venerable Bruno is, is so pleased to learn, what, what gives him such joy is to know that whether in a local chapel um, or whether a small chapel on the family property, the Eucharist is now available to Gabriella in a way that it wasn't before. Now note something else here. When Venerable Bruno approaches the spiritual level with Gabriella, where does he begin? He begins with what is the heart of the whole spiritual life, with the Holy Eucharist. Okay? So, he says, It gives me greater happiness still to know that Father Ferrero is already there with you. It is important then, all right? What's, what's important? To begin immediately to arrange with him for receiving communion and to do so as often as you can. Now, I want to highlight these two words. It is important to begin. And to begin when? Immediately. Just note those two words because this is, is deep into the spiritual guidance of Venerable Bruno. When you see the step God is calling you to take, and maybe amongst those of us sharing this, um, these reflections, there may be a number of us who have a sense that the Lord is asking them maybe to let go of something that is not helpful, spiritually speaking and even more, asking them to take this new step in the spiritual life. If we know that, then Venerable Bruno says it is important to begin. Don't wait. Now, start. And the adverb always follows, to begin immediately. If you know that the Lord is asking this, and you know that it's possible, we'll have a lot more to say about this than begin. And so he says to Gabriella, now that the Eucharist, the Mass, is available and communion, is available to you in a way that it was not before, it is important to begin immediately to arrange with him for receiving communion and to do so as often as you can. Which, in the context, is striking. We're familiar with the term the Easter duty. In the pastoral practice of these years in Venerable Bruno's life, many people would only receive communion once a year at the Easter time, if that. The idea of receiving communion frequently during the week or even daily was unusual at the time. And that's what Venerable Bruno is encouraging Gabriella to do. You're a busy married woman, you're raising four children, you have all the issues of property and finance and the difficult times in which you live. As often as you can, get to Mass during the week. If it's once, twice, three times, whatever it might be. I'm reminded as I say this uh, of my own parents who are with the Lord now and having watched the way they live, I have no doubt that they are with the Lord. That um, 
my dad, uh, for years, would go to Mass either before work, on his way to work, or during the lunch hour. And as the children grew old enough, and my mom could also start to get to Mass during the week, there was an evening Mass in our parish, she would go to that. This is what Venerable Bruno is encouraging Gabriella to do, as often as you can, without forcing anything, if you can't get there because of busyness, that's very understandable, that's a busyness which is holy. God has called you to be a wife and a mother and to deal with all of these issues. But as often as you can, receive communion, get to the Eucharist. And in the times in which we're uh, living right now, that's all the more poignant. My hope is that there'll be a whole resurgence um, in, the, in, in love for the Eucharist and approaching for the Eucharist. This is theologically at the center. These are the classic words of Second Vatican Council about the Eucharist, which is, the Council teaches, the source and the summit of the Christian life. Do you need energy to live your spiritual life? This is the source. This is the primary source of the courage, the patience, the love that we need to live our Christian life. And the Eucharist is also the summit of the Christian life. There are many things that we do in our spiritual lives, and they all work together, come together in a beautiful tapestry of spiritual life. But the summit, the high point, is the Eucharist. And the reason that the Eucharist is the summit of the Christian life is because it's Christ. It's his dying and rising and his real presence. It's the source and summit of the Christian life. So, if I may stop right here, if we were to go no further today, and you were to feel in your heart an invitation from the Lord when this will be possible and in the measure of possible to get closer to the Eucharist, to spend time to get to Mass during the week when that's possible and as often as you can, or just to spend quiet time in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament, then nothing we will say going forward will have been more important than this. If this day that we share together awakens in us a love and a desire to get closer to the Eucharist and a resolve to do that, then this day will have already been a source of wonderful grace in our lives because we will be getting closer to the real heart, well, the source and the summit of our Christian life. He goes on. You must be consistently faithful to meditation and to spiritual reading. If it be only a quarter of an hour of meditation and a single page of spiritual reading. All right, meditation. So this is that space in our daily spiritual lives when we take time just to reflect, just to ponder, just to immerse ourselves in the, the, the beauty and, and the truths of our Catholic faith, who God is, who Jesus is as Savior, the richness of the Bible, the, the beauty of belonging to the communion of the saints, sharing the life of the church, the, the power and the love of the Holy Spirit, and we could go on down the line. What, he is, what Venerable Bruno is asking of Gabriela is that every day she spends some time in this kind of prayerful, reflective meditation. This is a classic prayer in the spiritual life. So you can already see where this is going. Are we doing this? All right, there are a number of questions to consider. 
our, our Catholic spiritual tradition has an abundance of different ways of pondering the Word of God, pondering the truths of our faith. And we're very free to choose whichever one best speaks to our hearts. Some people love Lexio Divina, this way of praying with the Bible that derives from the monastic tradition, a slow, deep assimilation daily of a passage from Scripture. The Rosary, which Pope Francis is recommending so warmly. Think of uh, St. John the Twenty-Third. His daily prayer was the entire Rosary. It made him a saint. Uh, to use the lovely phrase of Pope Francis in the Rosary, we contemplate the face of Jesus with the heart of Mary. There's something very warm and beautiful about that prayer. The Liturgy of the Hours, which the Church warmly recommends not only to priests and nuns, but to all lay people, all members of the Church. And so there are increasing numbers of people who will pray, for example, morning prayer and evening prayer from the Liturgy of the Hours. Ignatian meditation, so this would be reflective prayer with Scripture, and then contemplation, which would be the more imaginative approach to praying the Scripture, and on and on and on. Our spiritual tradition is, is, is rich with different ways to meditate. Get to know them. Find the one that you love best. Find the one that best helps you to pray. And then do it. This is what he's recommending to um, Gabriela. Now, sometimes I think his letter is almost like uh, uh, the, uh, the way St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa structures a question. What he does is he puts forward something, and then he's, but these are all the reasons why that can't be. And then he explains uh, why it can be, and then he answers the objections. There's a little bit of that in the, um, in the letter that we're looking at here. And so the unspoken obligation, unarticulated in the letter, but very real, that Venerable Bruno is addressing here, conscious that he's speaking to a, a mother raising four children in very difficult circumstances, um, left too often more alone than she should be to handle these. I don't, I, I, I'm not a monk, uh, I'm not a nun. I don't have a structured life like in a monastery where I can just leave everything and go off to church for an hour and then come back. My life is hectic, my life is busy. And so he says to her, again, reverencing all of this, yes, you're right, it's true. You don't live in a monastery. You have children calling for your attention, needs, things arising throughout the entirety of the day. But can you find 15 minutes in the course of a day? If it be but a quarter of an hour, he says to her, can you find 15 minutes in the course of a day for meditation, for this kind of reflective prayer? And the answer to that in Gabriella's life, and I think in ours, is yes. I can find those 15 minutes. If 15 minutes seems too much, can you find 10? I remember a woman telling me that uh, she was, uh, had several young children, that the only way she could get space to pray was to go in the bathroom and lock the door. Some of us will live lives like that that are that busy. But can we find 15 minutes a day? I think most of us will say that we can find those minutes and they can make an enormous difference in our lives. Because today, as the very event that we're sharing right now indicates, um, we have many more options than ever before. Certainly there's the written page. You take up the Bible, you take up a book of um, spiritual teaching, uh, the writings of a saint, whatever speaks to your heart, and you spend 15 minutes reading that, which is a beautiful thing. 
you are exercising, doing the laundry, commuting, and um, you listen, you open up an app on your phone and you listen to a podcast uh, or you go on YouTube and you listen to a conference about Catholic teaching. And you can do this while you're getting a meal, as I say, uh, in the most ordinary uh, um, times of our lives. The spaces in which you and I can find these 15 minutes, more or less, depending on our individual circumstances, have amplified now in a way that's new in the history of the church. With all the problems that uh, technology may bring, this is one very beautiful gift that it gives to us. <clears throat> no. Ever since I started public speaking, I've become very grateful for water. Um, and I'm mindful of St. Francis of Assisi in his Canticle of the Creatures when he has this description of water. Um, Soraqua, you know, praise be uh, my Lord for our sister water, which is very humble, chaste, precious, and useful. I think it's really the most beautiful description of literature, of, of water in all of literature. Wonderful thing. Catholic television can help you to pray. Catholic websites on your tablet, on your computer. There are so many ways now in which we can find these 15 minutes. You're heading to the store to, for shopping, uh, to the school to pick up the children. We have all these spaces now that are available to us. And so Venerable Bruno warmly encourages Gabriella to find these 15 minutes every day. And if I may, reverently, I'll be the vehicle of passing that on to all of us. Some of us are doing this and more. Praise God for the beauty of that. You know the fruitfulness of it. If any of us feels stirrings in his or her heart to undertake this practice, then Venerable Bruno would say, open your heart to them. Grace, grace is, is, is moving, mingled with those stirrings in your heart. And then he speaks to her. We'll just do uh, a, little, a last little piece here, and then I think it's time for us to move toward a break. Um, he encourages her to spiritual reading. This is another classic practice in the spiritual life, so that every day, through the written word, as it was in his time, we are taking in new nourishment about our faith. So our faith is always young and fresh and growing, because every day, we're taking in new nourishment. All right, there's the same objection. I'm busy. My life is hectic. It never stops from morning to evening. I'd love to sit down and just read a book, but when am I ever going to get time to do that? And again, Venerable Bruno answers with reverence. It's true. Your life is that busy, for certainly for some of us and maybe many of us. But can you find time to read one page from a book? in the course of a day? And Gabriella's answer, and I think our answer will be yes, I think I can do that. I think I could read one page every day from a book, a spiritual book that would nourish me. And today again, the options have amplified. The written page, apps, podcasts, Catholic television, Catholic websites. Download something that you love. While you're getting dinner or driving, exercising, whatever the circumstances are, spend five or ten minutes with it and do it every day. You will love what happens in your spiritual life. One page a day.
an exam. And then finally he says to her, uh, if you can bear with me for just a, a couple more minutes, we'll uh, take a look at this final practice and then that will lead us naturally to our break. So just a couple more minutes here. And then he says to her, so he, she says, you must be consistently faithful to meditation and spiritual reading, 15 minutes, one page. And the same also for the examination of conscience, which you can do while you are working. Now, this examination of conscience is another key piece in a daily spiritual life. Uh, it may or may not be something that we find ourselves practicing, and I know there can be struggles with this. In another setting, we could go into those more in detail. Today, sometimes we speak of this as the examine prayer, which is the classic examination of conscience, but it incorporates into it the dimension of awareness of our spiritual experience in the course of the day. There is a big difference between a spiritual life in which we never stop to review our spiritual experience with the Lord and a spiritual life in which maybe somewhere toward the latter part of the day, we stop for a few minutes just to review with the Lord what our spiritual experience has been throughout the day. And this is what Venerable Bruno is encouraging Gabriella to do and, and to be consistently faithful to this so that there is that consciousness or awareness of what's happening in her spiritual life. Same objection. Uh, children, work, occupations, emails, phone calls, texts. How am I ever, I just, life is so hectic that I just can't get that space. And so Venerable Bruno says to Gabriella, be consistently faithful to the exam and the examination of conscience, which you can do even while you're working. That is, when your hands are busy, but your mind is free. You can do that review with the Lord even during that time. Is that doable? Again, I think most of us with Gabriella are going to say, yes, I think that is doable. For some of us, we'll have more time uh, and more relaxed situations to do these things. But I think all of us can do what Venerable Bruno is proposing to this very busy woman. This is an icon of St. Marie of the Incarnation, French-Canadian saint. Um, and she tells in her biography of when she was a young girl living at home, being in the kitchen at home and watching her mother as her mother worked. And she noticed that her mother's lips were moving silently as her hands were busy. She was praying. That's what Venerable Bruno is encouraging Gabriella to do. You can do this even while your hands are busy. So to bring all of this together, here is the program of spiritual life that Venerable Bruno is proposing to Gabriella and with its, our different nuances to all of us. Get as close to the Eucharist as you can. Communion, adoration. Find at least 15 minutes every day for some form of meditative prayer. If 15 minutes seems too much, find 10. If 15 minutes is, is too little in your circumstances and you just find yourself drawn to do more, you can do more. But 15 minutes of meditative prayer. Read one page from a spiritual book every day or listen to five or 10 minutes from a podcast or a conference. And review your spiritual experience if at no other time when your hands are busy but your mind can be free. You know, I posted that on Facebook once, uh, at the beginning of Lent, more than once. And the comments were, 
that's doable. It is doable. So uh, I think it's time for us to take about a 10 minute break here now. So um, this is your time to stir, move, whatever you need to do. And we'll be back to continue this. You've been participating in Overcoming Spiritual Discouragement with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download the audio portion of this particular conference, go to discerninghearts.com or its various streaming platforms. To view other conferences in this particular retreat, visit discerninghearts.com or the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts and to help us continue to offer unique spiritual programming like what you've just experienced. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time. God bless.